Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with sports scientists and physiologists, Paul Lawerson and Dan Plews. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we have Paul Lawerson and Dan Plews on the show. So both these guys are experts in the topics that we're going to discuss today, which are HRV and fat oxidation. So it's great to get these two guys on who are definitely experts in the field, like I've just said. But just before we get into the chat with Dan and Paul, just got part two with the one and only Jada Mayo talking about nutrition and following on from two weeks ago in the Scott Caulfield episode. So if you haven't checked that out, uh, Jay makes a little appearance uh, for three or four minutes just talking about nutrition and the way he does things uh, where he is. So this is kind of part two and follows on quite nicely uh, and there'll also be a part three in a couple of weeks. So I hand over to Jay um, to do his little bit and then we will go straight into the chat with Dan and Paul. Massive thanks to both Coach Me Plus and Vald Performance for sponsoring the episode today. So this little bit with Jay is brought to you by Coach Me Plus. So thank you to Kevin down there for sorting Jay out and, and getting him on the show. So I hope you enjoy both parts and I'll speak to you soon. Hey guys, first and foremost, Kevin and Rob, thanks again for having me on and doing all you're doing to help us get better. Uh, last time, guys, we talked about how we quantified the food. Today, we're going to talk about how we inputted the numbers and what we looked at. So there was a group of columns on each player's Excel sheet, excuse me, that they had um, that was split up for eggs, reds, which was the protein source outside of the eggs, blues their shakes, the snack bag we gave them, and whether or not they had a milk after lift. Each one of those was set with a number. Remember, the reds and the blues were each 150 calories. The shake was what they made and uh, the math that we did for each player for the shake that they got every day. The bags we just calculated off of the labels, and the milk, again, was off the label. We then, again, took the expenditure that they had from practice off of the Polar Team 2 system, Put that in a column, divided that by the, by the number 150, so we knew how many units, like what we were asking the kids to eat, they expended each day. After that, we looked at the intake, and what that formula was, was uh, basically a long addition formula with a couple of if statements in it. So the first is it took the column that was eggs, and it multiplied the number in that cell times 75. Each egg was 75 calories. Added that to the number of blues, so that that column times 150. Adding that to the reds, which was again 150. And then we add in an if statement. So after that, it was plus parenthesis, if in capital letters, another parenthesis. And then the cell, which in this case was AP50. If that equals 1, so AP50 equals 1, comma, 478, comma, 0, close parenthesis. So what that means is, if in that cell there's the number one, that means they took a shake, and the shake's 
calories was 478. So that would be added into the equation. If not, then it was zero. They didn't take the shake, there was no calories added. The next if statement, so it goes plus, parenthesis, capital I, capital F, parenthesis, AQ5O is the column, or the cell, excuse me, equals one, comma, one, or 750, comma, 50, close parenthesis, close parenthesis. So if in that cell there was a one, then they got 750 calories from the bag that we hand them their snack bag every day. If not, it was zero. And then the final one, parenthesis, if, parenthesis, AR5O, again, which is the cell, equals one, comma, 220, comma, zero, close parenthesis, close parenthesis. That is the caloric value for the milk. Add all that together, that's how we get the caloric value for the day. We divide that up by 150, and then we know if we had plus or minus on the units, so we had a simple measure just to show them that they needed to eat more of the reds or the blues. Uh, we'll come back next week to show how we split that up, and we showed the coaches whether or not it was our fault or the kids' fault or we were on the right track. Kevin and Rob, thanks again for what you're doing, guys, and let's get on with the show. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I have the pleasure of speaking to Paul Lawson and Dan Plews. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us there, Rob. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. No, it's great to have you both. Um, never done a tour, I don't think. I've done a three, not a tour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Impressive. Impressive. Well, well. Yeah, well, there for, you go. First time for everything, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you just want to, uh, I went over a little bit of an intro um, off air, but do you just want to give the guys who maybe don't know um, yourselves and your backgrounds just uh, one by one a bit of an introduction? Sure, sure. So, um, Hi everyone, my name is Paul Larson and um, my current role is as physiology manager uh, with High Performance Sport New Zealand and basically I um, manage the physiologists that are embedded in the different uh, different sports of priority for New Zealand Olympics uh, and then I'm also an adjunct professor with AUT University here in the North Shore of, of Auckland. And um, Dan Plews, um, the, well, for the last seven, nearly seven years I've been the physiologist for high performance sport based with the rowing team, the New Zealand rowing team, um, also an associate with AUT and Waikato universities and also um, do a bit of triathlon and coaching to some professionals like Caroline Stefan and um, Tim Van Berkel. Nice. So I know we chatted off air uh, a little bit about HRV and it's something you guys you guys know a little bit about, as you mentioned. Close to our heart, uh, you say? Yes. It's yes. what, sorry? It's close to our hearts. <laughs> Very close to your hearts, yeah. Love the pun, like it. <laughs> um, so we were chatting about um, one, of the, one of the apps that I've got on my phone, which I really like, in HIV for training. But I just wanted to um, – I'm not on commission for that, by the way. Um, we are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, clever than me. <laughs> Do you just want to uh, firstly maybe give a bit of a background on where the interest came from and then maybe give us a bit of a, a kind of a, a base to, to jump from with regards to HRV and, and what it is? Yeah, sure. sure. I'll, I'll start and then I'll kick over to, 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 to Dan. Um, I, the blues. <laughs> I'm, um, 
Oh, I guess it was, the interest kind of goes back from when Dan and I first met, which would have been um, when I was a, an, an associate prof at Edith Cowan University over in Perth, and um, I, we were doing a bit of a gig up in Singapore um, where we would teach classes up there. And that's where I ran into to the Palouse in the, in the lab, and uh, he was with the Singapore Sports Council at that time. And he was a bit of a fan of the prophet. That big fan, <laughs> big fan of the prophet. And uh, and and yeah, we, you know, obviously we got to talking, and we we um, we really we hit it off from from the from the early days there. But you know, um, yeah, Dan wanted to do a, a PhD, and um, we started thinking about topics. And there was this topic at the time, or this other fellow that I was working with, that most people on your podcast will heard of, and that was. Martin Bichette, and Martin was really big. He'd just kind of finished up his PhD um, and other studies in the area of heart rate variability, and he was really passionate at that time about um, about doing more work in the area uh, in the in and with uh, applied sports science. Um, so yeah, over over I guess I moved over to New Zealand, um, got the job that I just described, and Dan was one of the first people to. That I uh, called on. He was the first person I called on to kind of come over and, and join our high performance team here on an AUT PhD scholarship to do the topic with Martin and I in heart rate variability. Yeah, yeah and I guess the original concept it came from um, a guy called Anticovillenium who who he did a couple of papers and he showed that possibly by doing your training guided by heart rate variability. Um, is a better way to train or a superior better training you get better training adaptation um, than just doing it on like normal you know your standard your standard training where you just do do it follow a training program so the idea was that you if your heart rate variability was high you would do a high intensity session on that day and if your heart variability was low you would do um, a kind of a low or an aerobic kind of recovery session on that day and that's where the, the concept started and that's that's the avenue that we went down originally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's a bit of background. Yeah. <laughs> it's what? Sorry. I said well, we it's yeah. Don't the story doesn't end there because we learned a lot from that. But yeah, <laughs> don't don't yeah, go away. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's not it. That's not no, it. We haven't. That's just the hook. That was the hook. <laughs> <laughs> so. So yeah, what's, what's changed from from that? kind of initial um interest what's changed say across that um between then and now with regards to um with regards to hrv and how we collect it and what we what we think it means i guess i guess like, it's actually funny you we're talking about this now because i've re- i just wrote a um, i'm doing a presentation on saturday and i've called it the evolution of um hurry variability because for that very reason, like you just discussed, that there's been, it has really changed. And that's not just from a monitoring standpoint, but also from the way we collect it. So if I talk about from a monitoring standpoint first, what we found for the work in my PhD is that it's very hard to base training on a day-to-day basis with heart rate variability. It can possibly be done, but you need a whole heap of measures um, to give you an answer, like a readiness score, and that's what like your app like heart variability for training does. Um, I would never just trust the the one measure of heart rate variability. So the way that we we showed is that rolling averages, weekly averages are better 
And it's also highly dependent on the type of training you're doing. So if you're doing a lot of high intensity training, um, back to back, um, like team sports where you're really going quite, um, you know, well above into the, into the red zone, you expect reductions. Um, but op- opposite, in the opposite, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're doing like a lot of endurance work, like what we're involved with, whether it be where predominantly 80% of your training is at a low intensity, you expect increases. And really what you're looking for is for it to go up and down, but always come back to the same baseline level. Um, cause everyone has their own kind of intrinsic baseline that's right for them. And too much can be not that great and too little heart availability can be not that great as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's from, that's from kind of the monitoring standpoint. And then in terms of, um, actual the recording of the data, when I first started looking at the papers of heart availability, I thought, God, this is a, very, very confusing topic. You got people doing 10 minutes, 10 minutes lying, 10 minutes standing, look, looking at autoscatic, uh, autoscatic heart rate and high frequency, low yeah, frequency, different variables, high frequency, low frequency, um, spectral, spectral analysis, time domain analysis. Yeah. It's really, really confusing. So through, throughout my PhD, we kind of narrowed it down to just five minutes and just looking at one variable of heart variability, which was the RMSSD, which most people I'm not going to say what that means because it's just yeah. a very long word. <laughs> we've, come, we, we've nailed it down. That we're pretty confident that there's just one marker that we can use, yeah. that, it's, that it's the best global marker of your heart rate variability, yeah. and that's what all the apps are using now. Yeah, because then we kind of proved that. It's got the yeah. lowest um, the lowest technical error of measure, so it's the most reliable. Um, and then we went from doing five minutes of that with a polar heart monitor, then we went to five minutes of doing that on a, on a Bluetooth polar heart monitor for phone, and then we went doing one minute to of high variability from Bluetooth high monitor to phone, and now we're at the stage where we can use kind of this PPG um, like finger over the camera of a phone technology for one minute to get a high variability measure. So um, yeah, so that's that's where we're coming. I think if you if you look if you look at the cost benefit of HRV from where it was, there was quite a high cost at the start. Um, you know, we, we asking athletes to do twenty minutes of recording or even five minutes of recording. Um, and putting on a heart rate strap is well, there's a lot more cost associated with that, and coaches don't want to do it as much as just say, "Hey, wake up in the morning, put your finger over your the phone that's next to your bed anyway for just one minute." And people are much more willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are doing the the metrics in the morning on their phones with other various apps, anyways. So the cool thing, like I mean, just as one example with HRV for training, Marco's app, um, you can do your one minute sample on your finger. Uh, as soon as you wake up, and then you can kind of all, then you can sit there and just run through, you know, uh, three three to five questions. That's that's super simple in terms of how you're how you're setting up, how you feel yesterday went, and and how you feel you kind of set up for the day to give a uh, you know your team that's around you um, uh, a good marker of where you're at. So yeah, massive evolution in from uh, from where we come in now. It's if uh, if you're not doing it, you're I think you're really missing out. So is uh, and I'm sure Marco's done a um, done a blog post on this, so you might be able to kind of get the answer elsewhere as well. But is so highs always good and lows always bad? No, uh, um, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So so it's not. Um, it's always in. It's compared to your own individual baseline. Yeah. So too high. Can, so you you have like your normal day to day variation, but then suddenly you might get a real parasympathetic dominance, which is much higher than normal, which is not good either. 
Um, and then you could have a real sympathetic, um, a real sympathetic activation. So you're quite highly stressed and you get low heart variability, which isn't very good, which also isn't very good. So it's more, um, what's, you really have a norm and that norm is when you're working at your best. Um, so what we see with training is that, um, if, if, if someone's doing a really high training load and it's a predominantly aerobic based sport like Ironman triathlon or rowing or call it what you will, you know, that, that rolling average of, um, of heart rate variability would gradually go up and up and up. And it, when, on those days when it's really, really high, they generally are feeling quite fatigued and quite flat. But when it comes back to the normal kind of baseline levels within this normal range, um, that's normal for that individual, they feel, they'll start to feel a bit more recovered and a bit um, ready to, um, their readiness is better again. Yeah. Well, I guess so just, to, just to add on that, sorry, just to add on the point, um, uh, with around, with around the high and the high and the, and the low, the other, the other thing that's kind of interesting that we've, um, that we've found from a monitoring of athletes standpoint is that when you're getting, um, uh, metric scores and reports from athletes that they're feeling bad, um, whether it be through illness or just global fatigue, um, and then you get, you, you know, simultaneously you're getting this, you, you tend to get be getting this um, low heart rate that's just consistently low and, and really tanking, um, and it's just it's one extra marker there to um, to really highlight that you're you, you know you're not in a in in the right state and you need to make um, you need to make some serious changes in your program to uh, to kind of bring that back. And that's helped us you know in I guess you know building some athletes to major event competition uh, in the past quite well. So how would a how would a sixty second protocol compare to the data you're going to get from a, a five minute protocol? Obviously, difference being it's four minutes longer, but the data that, that comes out is it is it just as reliable and just as valid as the as the five minute longer protocol? Yeah. So a guy called Andrew Flat, who um, he, he does quite a lot of work more in the town of the team sports in the SNC. He actually did a. He did a study, and I think it was in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning, and he looked at the difference between um, five minutes versus one minute, and um, yeah, pretty much the same. So, yeah, it's just reliable. And yeah, well, even the de- the stuff we did with Marco as well, um, with the one minutes versus the five minutes, they were the they were the same there, right? When we the recent study, yeah. So, yeah. So with 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 the amount of, I mean, we discussed one off air as well with the amount of devices that are that are coming out. Is there any any obviously not trying to be funny here? Definitely not on commission. Um, but is there any particular devices that are coming out that are kind of um, moving things forward uh, in terms of in terms of HRV? Or are we just kind of trying to make things easier for the athletes? What's the what's the kind of progression from this now? Yeah, well, I guess the um, you know you've got the you I think the two best apps out there in my opinion. The one is um, HRV for training, which is best for an iPhone, but then you've got um, Elite HRV, which is really good if you're using an Android, um, because HRV for training one isn't available on the Android anyway. Um, But uh, the guy, Jason Moore, his app's also really very good. So I think they're both quite equal, and I would definitely recommend people to use both of those. Um, Also, one of the recent things that we've got is um, this thing called First Beat, um, which which actually is it's permanent permanent hrv monitoring so you actually leave it on oh. and you um and it does and it does heart variability all throughout the day um continuously and you can actually see from a, especially from a health perspective 
um, where what what your stresses are during the day, what stresses you are, what you know, and what what makes you relaxed, and um, which is quite it's very. I mean, that's one of the things about Hari variability. Is it's, I don't really look at it from just a performance standpoint. It's very um, it's very good from a health standpoint, and that's that's where a lot of the original heart variability work came from because people realize that people who have high heart variability generally live longer. That's so right. it's also linked to longevity as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the, the, the Palo Alto Prize is this, uh, the Human Longevity Project, and it's like a million-dollar prize for, um, uh, I guess, the, the research group out there that can um, uh, you know, make a concerted effort from research towards improving health and longevity of people. And, and the, the, the main marker that they're using, uh, you've got to be able to demonstrate that you improve heart rate variability. So, uh, you know, that's, that's quite a, you know, quite a big, uh, weight to, to put on this marker. And they, you know, obviously the scientists behind that, that million dollars are pretty confident that it's, that it's important. So it says a lot there. Um, the other thing I was going to say, I'm not sure if we've really kind of gone and explain to all of your listeners um, just what you know what heart rate variability really is is looking at, and that's you know it's, you're really looking at your swing throughout your sympathetic, your stressors, and your um, your parasympathetic recovery, um, and that's you know you're you're measuring heart rate, but you're measuring that beat to beat gap, you're, um, and your uh, and that gap gives us information about whether you're whether you're stressed uh, versus wh- whether you're you're relaxed. So yeah, just like what Dan was saying with his first beat, uh, you know, I'm wearing one right now as we speak and you know, we haven't got the data, We're just kind of, I guess, doing a little bit of pioneering here with this, but that's, that's one of the things that we'll, um, we're looking at. We're looking at the day-to-day stressors now um, and how, you know, there, there's things around your training that, um, that give you lots of stress um, and can influence your recovery. Things like, um, you know, uh, just uh, you name the the stress in your life from a from a home sale, from you know, in terms of what I've got going on right now, to um, you know work stress, um, to training uh, stress, training yeah, absolutely yeah. stress with your partner, um, not sleeping well, and 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 this twenty four seven marker kind of gives you that um, uh, I guess a real good look at at how you're how you're swinging. Um, in your in your stresses, I mean, you, we we should be going through this period of um, of good stress during the wake during the wake period, but you you definitely need to have a a good solid um, you know recovery phase in um, uh, you know usually obviously when you're when you're sleeping, but of course as we all know that that doesn't happen. So this first first beat system gives us info on on how you're tracking with that, uh, and I think that's part of that'll probably be part of the evolution uh, you know over the next five to ten years. Well, let me tell you, listeners, Professor's taking, you know, showing me this first beat right now. He's not really getting chicks. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't look too cool, I can tell you that much. <laughs> uh, my wife was me last night, I, you know, I got the, got the shirt off in bed. I'm so, sorry for the visual listeners, but um, she's like, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you know, you look ridiculous, first of all. Um, and, and second of all, you know, he's, you're like, you're fast tracking me to like when you are, you know, geriatric and in the in the in the old folks home, and you're all hooked up and wired up yeah. and on life support. Don't do this to me. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny because I I have to get hooked up as well, but my wife's putting up a bit of resistance to me doing it. She's it's not that sexy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I'll, but we're learning lots. Yeah, we're learning lots. Absolutely. 
I'm not letting That's a lie. No, we're not. We're not letting air. No. So one one thing that I've noticed, um, and obviously it's obviously a um, a big thing because it's in there uh, in in Marco's app as it as it stands is the the the, dra- the traveling and driving, uh, obviously rating that post post measurement, and I've noticed that when I'm on the road for for a prolonged period of time, uh, it plummets obviously because stress going through the roof with bad drivers in Yorkshire, as you'll uh, as you'll know, Dan. And you want to try and come to New Zealand. <laughs> Really? Yeah, it's probably worse. Just, <laughs> yeah. It's not good. I'm just no. putting a target on my back for every single New Zealand motorist who wants now. But obviously, with the first beat, the guys are wearing them all day. Um, is there any? Is there any positives in looking at HRV uh, immediately post training? Mm. Well, I mean. Um, we certainly do it for research studies to, yeah. to kind of have a look at how, you know, how stressful maybe um, a certain session is, um, which, which is I think it's more interesting. I don't I don't know how useful yeah it, it, that that would be from a, from a day to day monitoring perspective. I would say probably not. I don't know whether you're gonna. I, I mean, I guess I don't think people would change recovery based on based on how stressed the session was. I think there's other ways you can, there's more, there's better ways to monitor how stressful the session was just through the general load of it, right? Yeah. Rather than the actual, than your high availability. So uh, we've, we've just finished a study where we looked at different sorts of training. And so we looked at like glycolytic training, VO2 training, threshold training, and just aerobic training. And we looked at, we used high availability as a marker of re- recovery to see how, how that each session is affects the individual differently. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but yeah, my opinion would be that that'd be kind of too too busy. And again, we're getting back to where where these are um, you know individual single data points. And again, when you go back to what what uh, you know the Plues really learned throughout his whole PhD thing, and that's it's that when we're looking the the main usefulness that we can see now, at least at this point, is that morning you know the consistency of the morning measure to look at how you're tracking through kind of blocks of training. Or um, you know, uh, you know, week to week, how are you kind of tracking in terms of your heart rate variability? That's to me, that's the that's the most useful um, uh, way to get info and that um, out of out of the HRV, as opposed mm-hmm. to a single day sort of thing, or even after exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to take a very quick break in the chat with Dan and Paul. Hope you enjoyed part one. So in part two, we get into a chat around fat oxidation. So just before I let you get back into part two, as I've mentioned a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, I have a new website coming up. So the thought behind the new website is to basically allow me to add new content to the site, not just on the podcast, but um, some video stuff, which will be be interesting to hear people's feedback. So on Monday the 5th of December, the new website website will go live. So any feedback anyone's got, um, I would Really, really appreciate it. Um, just want to make it better. So just keep a lookout for that and any publicity and sharing would go down an absolute dream. So good to get back, back into the chat with Dan and Paul. Hope you enjoy part two and I'll speak to you soon. So another thing that you've um, got a, a tiny little bit of knowledge on is, uh, is fat oxidation. So I know this is this is something we uh, 
you sent a few things over to me uh, on email prior to the chat and I just want to kind of backtrack to probably um, first year undergrad and I just would like you to give us a bit of information on maybe just kind of replicate the HRV piece with why why that area um, and where that kind of uh, that interest came from and then take us through a little bit of the journey. Yeah, sure, sure. So the the fat oxidation journey would have started actually in the in the high performance sport um, offices when I was starting out, and I got <clears throat> I got asked to review a paper um, from Stephen Sealer's group, and Stephen Sealer's group, uh, Ken had led um, his first author on it from from Norway. They'd done this pretty cool study where they took um, they took these. Uh, recreationally trained runners training about three times per week and then they um, and they were and they compared their their response during an interval training session with um, with a well-trained um, a kind of a, an elite orienteer group and when I was reviewing the paper because um, on interval training um, I thought it was the, the very one of the very last slides that are uh, figures that came through showed this, um, you know, near, nearly perfect relationship between the fat oxidation that they were that they were using during um, during their intervals and their VO2 max. And I just never I'd never seen that before when I was in an undergrad. Um, when I was an undergrad, uh, I would I had I guess I'd learned that at high exercise intensities, you it was all about carbohydrate. You had you know you know you're doing a metabolic cart test right a VO2 max test. And you're seeing carbohydrate um, go skyrocket, and you're seeing um, fat oxidation plummet um, as the RAR went up, you know, over uh, over one, and and, uh, and 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 yeah, and it was just it was kind of remarkable to me, and uh, I gave my few comments in the paper, and and I uh, and I said highly recommend, and then I got I got the word back that it was uh, well, I didn't get didn't get too much word at, at that point, but I. Then the whole um, LCHF, you know, Tim Noakes and um, against the world debate kind of happened, and um, and I was thinking, well, what about that paper that, um, that that I reviewed back with with Stephen? So I flicked Stephen a message, and he said, no, we could never get that published. No one ever accepted it. No one ever believed the data. So um, we started in again with uh, with that group. Um, Dan and I with some uh, some new stats on it and uh, got that published in um, I guess uh, BMJ Open and um, and and yeah and we, we showed exactly what I what I just described where there's that pretty strong relationship. The more well trained you are, the more you're using fat at high exercise intensities. No, and I mean the, the carbohydrate oxidation was uh, actually going the opposite. This is last year, and that's and it was at ninety percent of VO two mass. It was still burning quite a lot of fat, which yeah. is quite which is. You know, you um, lots of the other kind of the pro carb academics. You know, they they argue that ninety percent is is doing nothing. There's no no carbohydrate um, um, usage at all. Yeah, so it just it gave us a new perspective, I guess, on the whole fat oxidation thing. Um, so this is going to be because um, the last thirty seconds I didn't actually catch. Um, okay. I'm hoping the I'm hoping the recording did. Um, but with regards to um, with regards to fat oxidation, why? Uh, well, firstly, why, why it's in my mind. How does that? Is there any link there uh, 
with that and, and the HRV stuff that, that you've been doing, Dan? Um, I think it's, the, the link's becoming more and more apparent, especially from a, from a health standpoint, in that we, we're really finding the glucose in the blood for, a, for one is quite a sympathetic mediator, so it really activates um, the sympathetic nervous system. Um, you know, and that can actually be linked to, all, you know, linked to hypertension and um, and just g- general poor health. So if you think about, it, you've got a lot of blue- glucose in the blood. Glucose mediates um, simply the nervous system, and that will therefore decrease your high variability, which we know is a good um, sign of all-cause mortality. So you're just generally not as healthy, and you're likely not to live as long. Possibly. Yeah. So there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, someone needs to really get out there and do this study. But, I mean, the, the number of links that we're seeing here with, with all these things is, you know, is uncanny. There, there's, um, and, and they're all just relationships. There's no, you know, and correlation does not prove causation. So acknowledging all that. But, you know, we see, again, the relationship that we just um, described with high fat oxidation, high VO2 max. Um, we described before the, um, the fact that the Human Longevity Project is, is you know, using heart rate variability um, as as a marker um, of I guess human longevity and health, we see um, athletes with um, you know elite athletes with really high heart rate variability, um, and 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 typically when they're when they're young they they have good health markers as well. So there's just all these there's all these things that are pointing to a strong a strong relationship between the two, but. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not never going to be one to one, but um, there's certainly um, there's certainly uh, some suggestions that it, that it, that it could be. I think one of the big problems is we never really got good um, uh, good markers of fat oxidation. One of the reasons we we, we didn't really mention it in the uh, what we were chatting about before, but um, the big reason um, that fat oxidation, I guess, hasn't been appreciated at high intensities before. Is, is this whole um, uh, buffer that we have in our bloodstream called bicarbonate. So when you are, um, when you cross your threshold, um, you cross your, you know, your, your lactate threshold, you're out spilling a bunch of, you know, hydrogen ions that get buffered by that bicarb. And we kind of forget that, um, that, that you know, that, um, that bicarb goes out, it forms carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is the marker that is skewing the equation for how much carbon fat you're burning at high intensities, right? So there's really everything past your um, your your, um, your your aerobic threshold really is is kind of out in uh, in terms of getting a good good handle on how much fat um, you know people are people are burning. So it's a tough one to get, in, 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 and and it's going to take a long time, I think, for us to to really get a handle on how good of a fat burner you are, or you aren't. But um, we're we're fortunate to be sitting on some nice. Uh, Nice tracer data from uh, David Rollins you know, down here in New Zealand that shows um, elite athletes, you know, are able to burn almost nearly fifty percent of fat um, at at ninety uh, percent of VO two max. So, and, and again, those, you know, that's not been, you know, that's not well described out there. So, yeah. yeah and I think, important. and what's also important in that point is that because of what Car um, Prof just said in terms of the bicarb pool. Um, from the study that we did where we showed that a 90% of VO2 mass is still a lot of fat oxidation, it's skewing it the opposite way, so it could potentially be even more than that. Could be, it could be more fat oxidation than was actually reported in the study. So, um, so yeah, even though the equation's wrong, 
it's only going to push it in a more positive, in favour of fat, of fat oxidation. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, forgive my ignorance, but with, with the with the buffer um, that's obviously present uh, above that threshold, how do you move forward to actually make that more accurate so we actually know what we're looking at past that point? Yeah, you need to you need to go into the the radioactive tracer um, uh, literature. So there's you know Luke Van Loon and a few others have have done some work in that, but um, we need you know and they're real expensive, uh, difficult studies to run. But you know in terms of the sport, the the hardcore sports scientists out there need to collaborate with uh, almost the um, yeah. I guess maybe possibly the sport industries and and get some uh, get get some better cross sectional data with um, with some uh, some more tracer data to kind of um, uh, tease out the, the the differences there. Um, yeah, uh, again, some of Dave Rowland's work he's 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 given some mathematical modeling on on what things should be, but but yeah, there's a lot lot more work that's needed in that 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 area. Um, yeah. So uh, it it's it, it gonna take a while, I'm afraid. Okay. So what's coming up for uh, what's coming up for you guys in the near future? For the Blues uh, and Prof uh, brand. Yeah. So yeah, I guess um, both of us are on our way out. So uh, um, I am just uh, I'm getting to the my second of two Olympic cycles here in New Zealand, and and uh, family is actually calling me. We've got a. Um, We've got a young six-year-old daughter and, a, and and some older parents that can't fly out to New Zealand anymore. So it's time for me to fly back to to my homeland in Canada, and um, I am going to be. Uh, so I've just you know I'm on my last couple months here, just uh, uh, um, putting the finishing touches on on things and leaving it for for someone else uh, at High Performance Sport New Zealand. But but I'll be moving to Canada and writing a book with. Um, my friend Martin Bichette um, on interval training, and um, that'll be taking a lot of time uh, doing that. I'll be in the, the snowy mountains of uh, Revelstoke, British Columbia. Um, and then I guess the other thing we'll be doing is, is a little bit of, um, yeah, we want to, um, I guess, describe a little bit more of the stuff that we're talking about on, on health and heart rate variability and, and longevity um, on our pluesandprof.com uh, uh, website. Yeah, which is yeah. So the and that's going to be a we like, we like to think of it as an education portal, really, to give people you know, so people who are interested in this, they can they can follow the blogs. Maybe we, we hopefully might do a podcast at some point where we just um, you know education for the masses, so we can help you know the A type personalities, um, people who are trying to you know kick ass in all all walks of life, whether it be sport, work, family. And um, yeah, and hopefully with that. So yeah. And what are you? And what are you doing? And I'm um, so yeah. My last day of platform sport is the 9th of December, and I'm moving to a company called Kitman Labs, who specialise in data analytics for team sports. So that's basically performance monitoring. Um, yeah, and I've been talking to them for a year, and they're really doing some exciting things in the um, in the sports monitoring space. Really, just making. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've worked as a sports scientist for a long time, and it's really giving, it's really empowering sports scientists to actually make good decisions to help um, to help teams and individuals go go faster and and um, manage manage training and manage injury risk. So, where are you going to be based, Dan? 
I'm still based over that. Yeah, I'm still going to be based in New Zealand. Okay. So um, the, the head office is for Kitman. One's in Dublin, one's at Menlo Park, Silicon Valley. Um, but I'm going to be trying to – I'll be based here in New Zealand for the time being and trying to get a bit more um, – bit more a, a bit a bit going in the australasia region so yeah we've already got quite a lot of traction so i mean yeah i'm really excited about the working with them and the potential um potential that we can that it has in terms of not just injury risk but also training monitoring so yeah it's great excellent so last but not least you've um you're both active on twitter oh just before i forget big thanks to martin for um for the introduction um so yeah, Twitter. You're both pretty active on there. Do you have um, do you have your handles at hand? Sure do. Go, Prof. <laughs> so yeah, I'm at uh, Paul B. Larson. Um, yeah. And I'm at the Plues One. Uh, and then nice. we have and we also at at Plues and, and Prof. Yeah. So there's three. And then and, uh, and you can also for those who are interested in the website. Um, so at the moment we're just waiting till our high performance sport. Um, our contract's finished and then we're going to go full in with the website but those who are interested can can um, sign up and and just sign up to, to say that they're interested at www.plusandprof.com and um, and then once we're up and running which will be in about a month's time you'll be the first to be notified that we're ready to go and you can look at all the exciting content that, that will be up there happy days yeah. Well, thanks for your time, guys, and um, thanks for giving up your uh, your morning to have a chat. Yeah, a pleasure, Rob. Yeah, love your show, and uh, thanks for having us on. Yep. Now we're heading out for a ride. We are. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, at least someone is. It's dark and horrible here. Yeah, I was told. I was told by the CEO of Kitman Labs that he wants me. He said, he said, oh, you, when you start, you might have to send you to Dublin. And I went, well, you, you want to send me to Dublin? The most fruit one of the, from the cold winter of Dublin, from the sunny, sunny beach of New Zealand. Do you? Yeah, Don't do like, it to me. Do not. Yeah, <laughs> well, this is this is this is yeah. Oh well, you got to do what you got to do, haven't you? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, mate. Well, I'll um I'll let you get back on with your uh or get ready for your ride and uh enjoy yourselves. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for tuning in to episode one hundred and thirteen of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Just before I let you go, just going to ask a little bit of a favour. On Monday the 5th of December, as I mentioned in the interlude, my new website will go live. So I'll be splashing that around Twitter and Facebook. Uh, so if you do see um, the new website and the publicity that's around it, please give it a share. Um, hopefully there's, there'll be some really interesting stuff on there that will uh, obviously be shared individually anyway. Um, but I'd love to hear people's feedback. Uh, so Monday the 5th of December, just keep an eye out. So thanks for tuning in again and I will speak to you in episode 114.